Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. Now, today's episode takes us into the fourth inning of Game 4, where we sit down with head baseball coach at Carroll University, Stein Rear. Now, Coach Rear was just awarded this past weekend the Co-College Baseball Coach of the Year by the WBCA, um, and he was fortunate enough to speak uh, at our clinic on Friday. So a huge thank you goes to him for taking time out of his schedule to do that. Um, now, in this episode, Stein goes through his background um, as a player and as a coach and his journey that led him to Carroll University. And also, um, you know, while at Carroll, he's overseen a lot of change, but that's the change in conferences, administration, and the facility. Um, and if you've seen the facility at Frame Park in Waukesha, it is, it is incredible. It's, it's as good as you're going to find. They did everything well. And this has got a place close to my heart. I grew up there in the city of Waukesha, right by Frame Park. I played my high school baseball there. Just an absolute gem, and to see what they did with that facility is, is, is incredible. So, um, throughout the episode, you know, we talk about college baseball, what makes Carroll unique. You know, this time of year, it's, it's middle of February of 2022. College baseball has kicked off at some levels, and it's waiting to kick off at other levels. And as we look at and highlight baseball in our state, in the multiple levels that we have, um, but we do have, you know, a tremendous amount of D3 programs. In Division Three baseball, from the public schools to the private schools, in all corners of the state. So, Coach Rear gives us a, a little inside look into Carroll baseball and what makes their program unique. So, without further ado, head baseball coach at Carroll University, Stein Rear. Coach, thanks for coming on today. We appreciate you you, you taking time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a good time. It's it's not too busy right now. Campus is pretty dead. So I, I get a little time on my hands. So absolutely. Well, hey, um, tell the listeners, you know, a little bit about your background, where'd you grow up and, and your baseball career. Um, I'm from the booming metropolis of New Glarus, um, which the only reason anybody knows about New Glarus these days is because spotted cow in the brewery. So um, my little town of 2000, I graduated back in 1993. Um, seems like forever ago. Um, so that's where I grew up. You know, spent most of my my high school days there. My dad was my high school baseball coach, um, so kind of where I got my my start in coaching was watching my dad, hanging around with my dad. You know, always hanging at the field. Um, that's where I got my love of dragging the field and taking care of it. Um, don't get me wrong; I love not having to take care of it now and having a turf field here. And, and Waukesha is great, but uh, that's kind of how I spent my time. So I grew up there. Um, you know, small town New Glarus, you don't really get recruited. Nobody's nobody's getting recruited out of New Glarus, especially back in 1993. So um, coming out of high school, I, I just wanted to find some place where I thought I could play baseball. Um, coming out of a small school, you kind of have some bigger aspirations, probably some some bigger steps than you can take. But ended up going to Carthage my freshman year um, out of high school. Spent one year there. Um, I think I'm still paying back the student loan I've got from one year at Carthage. Um had a great experience there. Um, loved that year playing under Augie Schmidt was, was a good experience for me. Um, I think it helped me out a lot in my coaching career. Um, but after my freshman year, I transferred to Whitewater and spent the rest of my career there. Um, and when I talk career, you know, we're talking about a career bullpen catcher. Um, basically, was there my first year was, was kind of that gray shirt term now. You know, you, you're cut, but you're not cut. You can, you can work out with the team, that, that kind of thing. Uh, made the team my second year there, was a bullpen catcher. Um, you know, if they did have an all-American bullpen catcher position, I think I would have been in the running for it that year. Um, but never really had, you know, there's nothing to talk about as far as stats and, and a glamorous career there. Um, ended up coming back out the next year, which would have been my, my fourth year. And, and I got cut in the fall. It was one of the last cuts in the fall. So um, for me, 
uh, I think that really helped me. Um, at the time, it sucked. At the time, it wasn't anything that you were looking forward to. You know, you want to play as long as you can, but it also put me on the other end of the seat. So when I'm, I'm having these conversations with our guys and talking about guys who aren't playing or talking about guys who maybe didn't make the team, um, I can tell them I've been there. I've done that. I've kind of had that experience. So um, once I kind of wrapped up my collegiate playing career, then I, I got right into the coaching aspect of it. Um, started out at Deerfield High School, a little uh, little town east of Madison, kind of halfway between Whitewater and Madison. Commuted out there and, and was an assistant coach for four years there. Um, eventually got a, a phi ed job back at my alma mater back in New Glarus teaching elementary phi ed. Um, got back into baseball there, was an assistant for a couple of years before becoming the head coach at Whitewater or Whitewater at New Glarus. And then uh, basically got to the point in my career where I knew I couldn't teach elementary phi ed for 30 years of my life. They were, uh, they're sending me 40, 40 kindergartners at one time. And if you've ever tried to herd bees, that's about what I was doing from a teaching standpoint. So at that point, you know, had still had a relationship with Coach Bowenlich at Whitewater. I uh, decided to go back, get my master's degree. Um, uh, he was kind enough to allow me to, to join their staff. And so I kind of hooked on with UW Whitewater staff in the spring of 2006 and spent uh, 06 to 2010 at Whitewater working as an assistant coach and, and various um, fashion, and then got my first head coaching job in 2011 um, up at Northland College in Ashland, Wisconsin. So um, you know what it's like. I look outside today and it's cold. And I'm still thankful that I'm in, in Waukesha and not in Ashland, Wisconsin this time of the year. So it was a great experience. Um, three great years up there. And that kind of led me to this job at Carroll. Um, got this job in 2014 and I've kind of been here ever since. Um, I don't know if when I took this job, I thought I'd be here this long, but uh, my wife now tells me that if I leave to get another job. Um, I'm going by myself. She's staying here with my three kids and I'm on my own. So um, bottom line is I, I, I do like the Waukesha area. I think we've kind of gotten our kids involved and, and um, I think we, we like it here. So I think it's going to be a long-term long-term solution and, and we're going to be here for a while. So love that. Well, Hey, I got a couple questions um, in your background. So the last few episodes uh, we've had a mix of high school coaches who have coached their sons. And, you know, a variety of different levels of success. Some won a state championships, you know, went to state, but they had that, that father son bond, you know, and I know you were talking about you, you being a dad now, obviously your kids aren't playing for you yet or, or whatever, but you did play for your dad. And I know that relationship is really special to you. So maybe just unpack a little bit, like, what was it like playing for your dad um, when you were a high schooler? When I was a high schooler, you don't appreciate it as much, right? Um, I think we spent more times butting heads when we were in high school because we're both ultra competitive, right? And we had some success. We had some really good teams. Um, I think when my dad retired in like 97, he was in the top five of active winning percentage or something like that in the state of Wisconsin. Um, so we, we won a lot of games. We, we won a league championship every year that I was in high school, um, but we could never really make it out of that regional, get to the sectional um, never really had that team that, that made it to state. So um, during my career, it was a little rough, right? We, we butted heads and we were a typical father-son combination. But, you know, once you graduate, you kind of have that appreciation for what it was like and, and that unique ability to play for your father. And like I said, that's what kind of gave me the, the first passion and, and thought like, I want to coach. And that's really what I went to school for was to, to be a FIAD teacher, but really let's, let's be serious. I was going to school so I could coach high school baseball, uh, coach high school football for a little while. So, um, and that's where I got that love from. And so it was fun because once I graduated, um, we played uh, home talent league ball. It's kind of in the Madison area. It's kind of the equivalent of Land O'Lakes, Rock River, 
Um, so we played that for about 20 some odd years. My dad was the manager for that program as well. I got to play with my younger brother for a while. So we, we kind of have this whole um, baseball background. And now, coincidentally, my brother is currently the head coach at, at New Glarus High School as well. So all, all three of us have kind of taken a turn um, being the head coach back there. So um, like I said, it, it, you start to really appreciate that. And, and I'm hoping maybe someday I can have that relationship with my son. But uh, Ivan is only in third grade currently, and I, I don't know if I've got that many years in me. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that works out. So right now, my, my daughters are in junior high, seventh and eighth grade, Brennan and Addie, they, uh, they play softball. I try to just stay on the sidelines. I, I like to coach as little as possible when it comes to them, uh, sit down the right field line, get away from the backstop, um, kind of do my own thing down there. So appreciate you going into that. Um, a couple more things about your background that stand out to me is, um, I mean, as you mentioned, you got cut at, at Whitewater and then not many years later, you're on staff. Like that says a lot about your humility and your willingness to just, it is what it is. This is who I was as a player, but like also with that coaching staff, um, I think it says a lot too about what they thought of you coming in as a coach. And, you know, you may, you weren't an all American, you know, draft pick out of Whitewater. So um, you know, look, looking back on that time, was that a difficult decision for you kind of going through some of that, um, in those years of, of, of going back to Whitewater? Um, no, I think it was a pretty easy decision. It was kind of a no brainer for me. Yeah. There's, there's always some, some hard feelings. Um, but I think I was far enough removed, you know, we, we were probably close to 10 years removed. Um, I had a relationship with coach Vodenlich before, uh, I came to Whitewater. We, we kind of had mutual friends and, and got to know each other a little bit off the field too. So it wasn't just, that was my only relationship with him. Um, we had had some of that off the field stuff as well. So for me, it was, it was a pretty easy ask. And, and I think for them, the price was right, you know, um, come in and don't pay me a dime and I'm more than willing to coach. You know, anytime you get those guys, you don't have to pay anything. Um, I think it worked out pretty well. Um, and the time that I was there, we, we had some great assistant coaches that, that kind of took me under their wing. Cause obviously when I was First there, I was driving about 60 miles one way. I was living in Monticello, which is basically just outside of New Glarus. So it was about an hour commute from, from there to Whitewater. Um, I was working with the catchers. So we'd do pitching and catching practice in the mornings at 5.30 a.m. So I'd be up on the road by, by four o'clock in the morning. Um, we went to full team practices until four o'clock in the afternoon. So basically I was spending the whole afternoon, camped out in one of the assistant coaches offices, doing whatever I could from that standpoint going to our 4.30 practice, that wraps up, you know, 6.30, something like that. Um, driving another hour to get back home by hopefully 7, 7.30, have some supper, take a shower, go back to bed and do it all again the next day. So um, there was a lot of sacrifice, but a lot of those assistant coaches were more than willing to help me during the way. And, and I give them a lot of credit, um, especially Coach Perchinski, who was there and um, has moved on since. And he was, he was an awesome mentor for me and, and did a lot for me during that time that I was there. Well, the other stop I'm intrigued on is when you're up in Ashland. Now, this show, you mentioned it like kind of tongue in cheek, but the weather in southern Wisconsin versus northern Wisconsin is like being in a different planet. So like, how do you run a program in that northern part of Wisconsin? Like try to go back to those days for us. Obviously, a lot has changed for you now with your location and the facility that you have, which we'll get into it, Carol, but Go back to Ashland, like how, how do you, one, recruit to a place like that? Two, how do you run a program with that climate? Well, number one, the, the recruiting piece for me, we had some success, but it's, you got to turn over a lot of stones, right? You got to find the kids that are the right fit. Um, Ashland, Wisconsin is literally a town of 8,000 people. Um, there's like a super Walmart 
and that's about it, right? If you want to go to a mall, you want to go to a movie theater, you're driving an hour and a half to Duluth, Minnesota. So you got to find the kids who like what there is to offer there, right? And what is there to offer there? There's a big old lake that freezes over and you can ice fish on it almost uh, like 11 months a year, okay? Um, you can hunt anytime you want. Um, Northland was unique in the fact that you could bring your guns to campus. You could bring your bow to campus. They would store it at, at campus security. You go check it out. You go out in the woods, you shoot something, right? Whatever you shoot, you bring it back. They've got a basement of one of the dorms that you can clean your game in, all right? You, you, you catch it, you shoot it, whatever. You bring it back, you clean it, you go cook it up in your dorm room. So um, really that was the key. I had to find the outdoorsmen, the guys that like the outdoors, um, it helped to recruit kids from northern Wisconsin because they're obviously used to the climate a little bit. Um, you know, I know we had one kid from Arizona in my time that was up there, and that, and that was a shock to his system a little bit. Um, they had a hockey program, and, and we, we had a lot of dual guys that played hockey and played baseball at the same time. Um, so that was kind of that little niche as well that we could find some guys there. So it, it was definitely the recruiting piece was just finding the right fit. You know, you couldn't just bring anybody into that scenario. Um, yeah, you can go out and, and cast a big net, bring in 25 guys from, from coast to coast in the United States, but how many of them are going to stick there, right? And you're going to end up re-recruiting those kids because it's a lot of them are going to be one and done. Um, but it's fine in the right niche. And we were lucky. We never had huge rosters there, right? Our roster was typically around 25, 28. Um, so it wasn't going to be a huge roster, but trying to find those kids that were the right fit. Um, from a climate standpoint, now you're, you're talking a whole nother monster up there. Um, you mentioned, you know, obviously my facilities here, the, the facilities that we have to work at, working with the Sticks facility here on campus, having a, a new turf facility um, at Frame Park really helped with the climate. We didn't have any of that up there, right? We had basically a high school gym. Um, so we're practicing a high school gym. You've got a couple of cages that you've got off to the side. Um, and really when you're talking, you're, the one year we, we practiced indoors for I think five weeks, went to our spring break trip in Florida, played for a week, came home and practiced indoors for like another three weeks, um, just because it, there was no way we could play. And that last, the last year I was up there, it was a terrible spring anyways. Um, but we traveled a lot, you know, we, we would travel south to, to try to play games. We'd come down to the Milwaukee area and try to play a weekend and try to pick up some games in late March and, and play that way. Um, you just find yourself on a bus a lot. You know, you just, if you're going to wait to play up there, you're going to be waiting till till May, you know? Um, so it was, it was a lot of travel, um, really hard on your budget a little bit when you're, when you're on the road that much time, but we made it work. Um, you know, I, I still have some great relationships with the kids that I coached for the three years up there. Uh, went traded in for, for anything. My wife loved it up there. Um, especially June and July, you know, the summers up there are amazing. Um, it's just trying to play baseball in March and April. That's not, not all that conducive to, to being in the Northern climate. Well, then, then you make your way to Carroll, 2014, been there ever since. Um, so kind of give us the scope of your program. You know, uh, you've talked about your facilities, both your outdoor, your indoor. Um, you know, maybe talk to us about roster size and some of the offerings that, that Carroll Baseball has. Um, starting with rosters, obviously we're, we're a private school, um, tuition-driven. When I first got here, the roster was right around 30, um, and we've been growing ever since. Currently, we sit at 60 kids. Um, Last year, we added a full JV program, basically, that we have. Um, obviously, the higher-ups here on campus are looking at tuition dollars, and there were some incentives to add rosters to grow that JV program a little bit because, obviously, we're bringing more kids onto campus. So we are a little bit bigger of a roster right now. Um, when I first got here, we did cuts and tryouts, um, just like when I was at Whitewater, um, all the same. 
but two years ago when we grew our roster, we've, we've actually stopped the cuts and tryouts process now. Um, so now I'm kind of using an offer system, um, giving a guy an offer basically guarantees him one of those 60 spots on our roster. Um, I think from a recruiting standpoint, it helps a little bit. It takes that doubt out of the mind of recruits that, Hey, if I, if I go to Carroll, I've got to go through cuts and tryouts. Am I going to make the team? You know, baseball is a big part of the decision about why I'm going to Carroll. And if I don't make it through the cuts in the fall, well, then that piece is gone. So I kind of took that piece out of the equation. Um, and I think we were in a, a, a spot where we could do that and still be able to control the roster a little bit. Unfortunately, it means in, instead of having those difficult conversations with a kid who might not make it in the fall and you might have to let go in the fall, I'm just having those difficult conversations during the recruiting process and basically letting the kid know that we, we may not have a spot for him. So um, that's kind of what recruiting looks like. Um, we've done a much better job, I think, of getting into the local Milwaukee area. When I first got here, there was very few local kids on the roster. Um, Carol wasn't really an option for the local kids. Um, I think there wasn't a lot of success here. and we, We've started to see some success and that helps. I think the facility was what it was. Um, when we got here, we didn't have the sticks facility. We were practicing in our gym, which again is just basically a, a larger high school gym. So that didn't help um, local kids who were playing against Waukesha North or Waukesha South or CMH at the time when I first got here was still playing down at Frame Park as well. Um, those kids who had been to Frame Park weren't overly enthused with coming back and spending a whole career playing at Frame. Um, so that's why the, the renovation we did last uh, fall putting in full turf, pushing the fences back, putting in new dugouts, bullpens, batting cages. Um, that was a big pull as well. So we've started to get those local kids. And once you can get the local kids, there's a ton of talent within the Milwaukee area. And, and that was kind of the key is trying to keep some of that talent home here um, and not having to bring everybody from the outside in. And so I, I think that's kind of been a key for our recruiting as well. Um, other than that, you know, it's, it's a great school from a educational standpoint. Um, you're going to come here. You're going to get a great education. We're focused on getting you an education. Um, I'm not running a program of dumb jocks who are just trying to stay eligible, basically coming here just to play baseball. I want to find a guy who's a good fit from the academic standpoint as well. Um, obviously, we've got a ton of different programs. And, and for being a, a middle-sized private school, that's kind of unique. Sometimes you don't have the academic offerings that we have. Um, obviously, we do a really good job in our medical sciences, anything from the nursing, the physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, our exercise science programs, uh, churning out uh, athletic trainers and stuff like that. Kind of that's that's our big calling card. And when we built a couple brand new lab buildings uh, about three or four years ago, I think to the tune of about $30 million. And those buildings were basically dedicated to the medical sciences and the labs and stuff like that. So uh, we've got a great, great reputation in those programs. Obviously, we do a lot of other things well, too, from business to anything in, in the educational field. Um, and just like at, at um, Northland, you know, recruiting here is about finding the right fit. You know, not everybody is, is a great fit here. And in the recruiting process, you hear that a lot. You know, I hear a lot more no's or it's not going to work or it's not a great fit for me than I do yeses. And again, it's just a matter of turning over the rocks and, and making sure we're finding the kids that are right fit for our program, the right fit academically, uh, the right fit financially. And they're out there. Um, you just gotta, you just gotta look and find them. And I think um, with what we've got to offer from the educational standpoint, from the facility standpoint, starting to have a little bit more success, um, we moved to the CCIW conference, the College Conference of Illinois and Wisconsin. Uh, what is that? Four years ago, five years ago now. Uh, when I first got here, we were in the Midwest Conference with schools like Beloit College and, and Lawrence University and Ripon College. 
And then we moved into the CCIW and, and Carthage is the other Wisconsin school in the CCIW and it's got some more Chicagoland area schools. Uh, North Central College is kind of in the cream of the crop. They're typically a top 10 team. So from an, a competition standpoint, it was a, it was a good move for us. And it was a move to a more competitive conference. It kind of put our name out in the Chicagoland area as well. So from a recruiting standpoint, it helped to get us into the Chicagoland area and, and get some of those kids to come up here. So um, between all those factors, uh, the, you know, the majority of our roster is always going to be that Milwaukee, uh, Chicagoland area roster. And, and I think we're, we're getting some good kids um, that are coming up and, and seeing what we're doing here. Well, that's, you know, we appreciate the, the kind of flyover view of, of Carroll University. Again, I, so I grew up about a mile from Carroll, you know, Carroll College, and it's just changed so much just in the last 20, 25 years. And it's, it's so impressive to see. But now take us like the flyover of your program, right? Like, what, do you, what is your mission? What are, you know, pillars? Like kind of, if you had to give the, the, the looking at you know, that flyover view of your program, how would you answer that question? Yeah, and we've, we've got the three pillars that we put together. We, we, we share it with our guys every year, kind of this is what we're looking to do. Um, and it really, it, it's an overview of everything that we want our guys to do, not just from a baseball standpoint, but, but on the field, off the field, in the classroom. Um, we really have three, three pillars, three standards that we, we talk to our guys about. Um, the first one of those pillars is, is selflessness. I believe it's a term that came from John Wynn's, if you've ever seen John Wynn's Pyramid of Success. I believe that was one of the building blocks was selflessness. Um, basically, we talk to our guys about being a great teammate, um, you know, embracing and, and dominating your role. With a roster of 60 guys, not everybody's going to play, obviously. Some guys are going to travel. Some guys are going to suit up for home games. Some guys are going to be JV guys. But whatever that role is, you know, embrace it and, and know that it's important to the team. Um, so we talk about that a lot. We talk about effort and sacrifice. Um, at this level, it's real easy to just be a student, you know, a student that goes to class, maybe two classes a day, maybe three if it's a really rough day, um, done by two o'clock in the afternoon. Maybe you don't start till noon. Um, it can be really an easy experience. And our guys know that the, that selflessness comes into the point where you're going to sacrifice a lot of that free time um, between study tables, between uh, strength and conditioning between one-on-one uh, -on -one individual stuff coming down. Uh, they've got, you know, now we're in the off season, but I sent them home with a, a whole list of stuff, right? Between throwing and hitting um, all that free time that you have as a normal Joe Schmo student, it, it disappears. And so there's a lot of sacrifice. So that's kind of that first pillar of our program is that, that selflessness and, and knowing that it's not just about you and it's, it's about trying to build a great program and it requires some of that sacrifice. Um, the second pillar that we have within our, our program is opportunity. Um, we talk, uh, we, we try to throw some bigger terms out at them, some ones that I'm not even understanding, um, you know, but we try to make them look it up and figure out. So we use like veneration and, and reverence, uh, persistence. And so we, we kind of try to talk about what those terms mean, you know, and the opportunity to play college baseball is not something everyone gets. Um, and so be appreciative of that opportunity that you've gotten because you are a, a minority. You are a small percentage of high school baseball players that get the opportunity to play at the next level. Um, so to have some appreciation for that fact. Um, we talk about reverence, you know, knowing that there was a lot of guys that came before you in this program that didn't have what you have right now. Um, and we, we've touched on it, right? How we practiced on a gym floor. We played at Frame Park before the renovation. Um, and, and those guys did a lot to try to make the best of those facilities that we had. And, and they sacrificed a lot of their time with rakes and edging and, and all that fun stuff, uh, tamping lips. 
And they also sacrifice from a, a fundraising standpoint. You know, we do fundraising every year. And a lot of that fundraising money that they earned while they were here went to get something that they may have never enjoyed. It, it went to something that might've came after they left. Um, so for our current guys to have that appreciation for what the people before them have done to give them the opportunity and, and the facilities they have. Um, we talked a lot about persistence, you know, embracing the process, and, and basically looking at it, looking back in, in 20 years, you know, and I've, I can share with them that experience of what it was like to get cut from a program and, and lose that appreciation for it only to, to kind of look back now, you know, 20 plus years later and really have an appreciation for the opportunity that I did have with the program. And so instead of being bitter because of the fact that I got cut, I'm actually appreciative that I had the opportunity to be with the program and, and go back and help coach with that program. And, and so it's tough for these kids being in it right now and in the here and the now, but just trying to get them to, to start thinking about, all right, in your future, 20 years from now, what are you really going to appreciate from this opportunity that you've been given? Um, so that's kind of the second pillar that we've got within our program. And then the third one's just excellence. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about being on time, being prepared, being meticulous, paying attention to details, all those things that all good programs have, right? Um, industriousness, I believe that's another term that came out of the, the, the John Wood pyramid. Um, enthusiastic, it's another one of those. So, you know, trying to really be excellent in everything we do. And we, we tell our guys that's not just a, a switch that you can flip when you walk out of the practice field or when you walk out of the game field. Um, we're trying to really do all of those things and be prepared and be prompt when it comes to classes, any responsibilities that you have, um, you know, being focused, paying attention to those little details and, and those habits that you build are not only going to obviously make you successful within the baseball realm, but hopefully they're going to make you successful beyond here as well. You know, whether it's becoming a parent, a spouse, um, an employee, maybe owning your own business. Um, just trying to have that, that mindset of being excellent is everything that we're going to do um, and not just settling for, for second best and, and going through the motions. You know, we've all had those days where you walk into practice and you're just looking at the practice plan. All right, let's just check off the boxes. Let's just get through this. And, and we're trying to get through these guys that don't just check off the boxes. Take this time that you've got and try to make yourself better. Um, and so that's kind of the, the three big pillars if you're looking at it from the, the 100,000 feet view of what we're trying to do with our program. Well, as we, you know, as you zoom in on your program, so how do you, you know, you've given us a lot in the conversations you're having and the vocabulary, and I'm sure that ties in really well with, you know, the administration and the vision of, of, of Carroll University. But as you get inside of your program, like, what is the, what makes your program unique? You know, is it team building exercises? You know, you talked a lot about fundraising, other traditions and things that are unique to create this once in a lifetime experience um, as a PIO. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know how many of it's, it's unique, you know, because I have only got experience with a couple of programs, so I don't know who's doing what. But, um, yeah, we, we try to do a lot of team building stuff, especially in the fall, right, when, when our guys are coming to campus. Um, we've got a mentorship program, so each one of our freshmen, incoming freshmen, uh, gets assigned a mentor, a returning player from our team. And so they've got that responsibility to connect with each other before getting to campus. You know, they've got that other uh, outlet to ask questions if they've got anything um, from a baseball standpoint, from a class standpoint, where do I do this? Where do I do that? It doesn't just all fall back on me. They've, they've got a, a player where, where they can relate. So they've got that relationship before they come to campus. Um, obviously, we like to take advantage of other athletic events on, on campus. You know, every year we'll do a tailgate party um, for a home football game. We'll usually do something for homecoming. Uh, homecoming around here is a pretty big deal. Uh, it's a pretty fun weekend. So we'll, we'll have a get together for that. 
Um, we'll try to support the other teams on campus, not just a football team, but, you know, going to a volleyball game or going to a, a, a soccer game and kind of doing that as a team, lending our support to the other programs on campus. And, and usually that, that comes back, right. And those, those teams will come show you their support and everybody likes playing in front of a, a fuller house. Um, we do a lot of stuff when we get back. Um, like I said, our guys are on break right now. They've got about a month off. They come back here in a couple of weeks. We get back and we got a couple of weeks before we kind of start practice. We'll do some things like we, we typically do a three on three basketball tournament. So I'll take our roster, divide up the guys into in three on three teams, play that out on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, we've done the same thing with air hockey tournaments. Basically, it's just it's in general trying to find ways for our guys to spend time together outside of the practice realm, outside of the weight room. Um, and our guys, I think, are pretty good at that. Um, they've taken the upperclassmen have taken some responsibility to kind of organize some things. It's not always organized by me. Um, and that's another one of our principles, right? I, this isn't just my program. Right? This is their program. What do they want to make of it? And the more responsibility and, and the more they can feel like they're a part of some of these choices, I think gives them a little bit more skin in the game. Uh, and so we're trying to give them a little, as much skin in the game as we, we possibly can. Um, we do do one, we, we do a, a white elephant gift every Christmas before we go home for break. And uh, I kind of organized it the first couple of years here, right? Everybody brings kind of a gag gift, roll some dice, grab some gifts, open it up, steal, you know, whatever. We basically make a game out of it. And um, for years I was there and, and there were some really funny gifts and it was, it was a great time. Um, but at, at some point I decided I needed to pull myself away from that. And I think they're having a little bit more fun with it now that I'm not involved. So um, it's, you know, I hear stories. I don't need to hear all the stories, but I, I get the gist of it. Um, and I think they really have a great time with it. And, and it's kind of a, a good way to wrap up our first semester. We do it in between the end of classes and before finals start. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a mental break before they kind of get into that grind of finals. Um, and kind of that good, good wrap up moment before they all kind of go home for a, a, a month or so before they come back. So that's some of the things that we do. I don't know how unique they are, but I know our guys enjoy them. And I, I think it gives them a little bit of ownership of the program. I love that. I think every, every guy that played college baseball is just having flashbacks to some of the nonsense that went on, you know, if it's in dorm rooms or apartments or, or especially those, those long bus rides. So I can just picture, you know, a bunch of 18 to 22 year old guys clowning each other, um, you know, with, with white elephant gifts. Uh, you did mention fundraising though. And I know that's another topic that coaches at all levels are always, they get inundated with a, a thousand emails about, you know, doing this or doing that. So like what fundraising campaigns do you guys run? Um, kind of where have you landed your ship in the fundraising department? Yeah. And then typically you know, our budget covers almost everything but our spring break trip. So we basically are fundraising for our spring break trip and, and any big items that, that the budget really doesn't cover. So um, our biggest one that, that requires probably the most time from our guys is we do work security for Badger football games. Um, CSC is the company that basically hire out. Um, they'll send us a bus right to campus. Our guys hop on the bus. They take us right downtown Madison so we don't have to worry about driving. Don't have to worry about parking. And basically every guy works a, a security. You know, we're, we're checking bags, we're checking tickets, ushering during the games. Uh, some of our guys will get down on the field and be doing security down on the field. I typically request to be in the suites because I don't want to be too hot or too cold. So I'll, I'll get up in there in the climate controlled suites. But um, it, it's, it's a nice fundraiser. We, we, you know, we raise some good money, but it also goes back to some of that's also a team building thing. And our guys are going and we're sitting on a bus for an hour. These things happen. I mean, we did our first Badger game before classes even started this year. It was the Saturday before classes started. So 
you're on a bus getting to know each other. So that's kind of our big um, fundraiser that we do. Obviously, we do some other small things. We send out like a friends and family letter every year, just asking for um, friends of each one of the guys to, to make a donation to the program, you know, a tax deductible donation from grandma, grandpa, you know, ex-coaches, whatever. I'm sure you've gotten those letters probably down the line uh, from somebody. Um, so that's, we do that. We did a golf outing for a while. Um, we, we didn't get back to it after COVID kind of wiped out our golf outing. We're looking for ways to get back in and maybe do something similar to that. Um, but that's really the, the big fundraising that we do is, is the letter drive and, and that Badger football games. Beautiful. All right. Well, now you got all that taken care of. I know it's an ongoing process, but eventually let's get into the baseball now. All right. So I know, you know, I'm always on a quest to find out the best ways to practice plan. And I'd like to get into your system a little bit. Like, what is your process? You know, how, how much in advance of practice? I mean, I'm guessing obviously the weather is going to dictate everything. Your new facility is going to allow you to do more things you've ever done before, but what is your process of practice planning? And, and I'm, I'm lucky. I really basically like most stuff in baseball, right? And I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm just stealing it from somebody else. And that's one of the biggest things that I got from Coach Vodenlich in the Whitewater was, was kind of how he did his practice plans, not only the format and, and actually the layout of them, but kind of what went into making those practice plans. So um, we still use to this day. So if I'm writing on my practice plan, as I save it, it's still going to have, you know, created by John Bodenlich on the edge of my uh, practice plan that I like kick out every day. But, um, you know, really I look at it and in, in terms of when do we play our first game and what do we have to have accomplished before our first game? And so the last couple of years, we started playing earlier and earlier. Um, we're actually playing in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, February 18th and 19th. We'll go down there and play center college. So it's about an eight hour bus drive. Um, there's an expense that goes with it, but, you know, I want to try to spread out where, you know, we're playing 40 games during our regular season. If you, and if you're trying to play all 40 games and basically March, April, and one week in May, it really, it leads to a compacted schedule. So by trying to get out and play in February, it really helps stretch our schedule out. So when I look at practice planning, it's all about how many weeks do we have? And this year we've got three weeks and we got to be able to go. So um, for me this year, we did a lot more in the fall. We, we knocked out a lot of those things that I want to make sure we get in place. Now we'll come back and we'll review them in the three weeks we have to play. Um, but if I'm looking at just at three weeks, it's, it's tough to kind of get everything in. So um, I will sit down with our, our coaching staff at this time of the year and say, all right, well, what is the needs of this team? And, and every year it's going to be a little bit different. You know, some years we're going to have a little bit more veteran group. Some years we might have to rely on some younger guys. Um, luckily this year, it's going to be a, pretty much a, a returning group. So we can kind of pick that pace up and go a little bit faster and not worried about having to keep some of those younger guys. Uh, if we have to review some stuff with the younger guys, we can, but we can go in a little bit faster. So um, we'll put everything kind of together. And, and we did a lot in the fall, um, the, the five weeks that we get in the fall, five weeks, four weeks that we get in the fall. Um, and then we'll just build on that for three weeks. And luckily for us with our facilities and being in a college setting, we've got a little bit more leeway as far as, you know, individual versus team drills. Um, we've got the ability, you know, Sean and Bart down at Sticks are really great to us. Um, our guys can basically come down and use the facility at any time. So we'll take advantage of that. And I will go down at least a couple of days a week and I'll be down there from like noon to four or from 10 o'clock to four o'clock. And as guys schedule allows them for uh, their classes, they may not have classes in the morning. So they might come down for a couple hours and they might come down for a couple hours in the afternoon. And that's when we do a lot of that individual still skill development. We'll work one-on-one -on -one with, from a hitting standpoint or from a fielding standpoint, whatever we've seen, we want to work on that week. So it allows us that when we're down at sticks for our team practices at, at night, 
we can really concentrate a little bit more on, on team defense and, and team drills and not have to do as much of that individual skill development. So I know not everybody has that, that opportunity to work with their guys during the day, but that's one of the advantages that we have from a schedule standpoint and from a facility standpoint is we can get a lot of that one-on-one -on -one stuff during, done during the day so that we can really focus more on our team drills at night. So um, that's kind of the, the, the big picture of how we kind of get to together. And, and, and like I said, it's not one way or the other. We're always looking at our team and what do we need? Um, you know, once we get through that first weekend in uh, Kentucky, we'll, we'll, we'll reset and kind of look at our, well, we, what do we do good? What do we do bad? What do we need to continue work on? Um, and so we're always looking at it. So I don't plan like the entire year mapped out ahead of me. You know, I might plan out those first three weeks and have those basically planned out. But then after that, we kind of take it as, you know, what do we need? What are we lacking? What do we need to work on from that standpoint? Well, I, you know, one of the buzzwords, right, in practice planning is like training economy. And I always got to, I got to imagine at your level, but you said you start in, you know, a month, you got three weeks to get them going. You got to build pitchers up, right? You got to get pitchers to a point where you can run them out there safely, comfortably, and with the size of your roster and everything else. So I'm always curious of just like, you know, how do you decide, obviously you're always evaluating day to day and, you know, in chunks at a time, but like, how do you prioritize your pitching or certain position groups in that setting with, with those amount of guys? Yeah. And, and really, if you look at it, when I say three weeks of practice, our, our pitchers aren't just picking up a ball the first day of practice, right? Neither are our position players. We've got a, a six week throwing program that they're on. So they actually started uh, December 12th. Um, even though it's our off season, December 12th was the first day of our throwing program. So they've been throwing since then. And there's, there's been some guys that will slack on that. And then we'll figure out those guys real fast. So those are the guys whose arms are hanging after about one or two days of practice. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of that that goes into it, right? They've got to be able to put in the time to get to that point. Otherwise, if you're a pitcher starting from ground zero and we've got three weeks to get you ready, it ain't going to happen, right? Um, we're lucky enough that, that at down at sticks, they've got the separate pitching building as well. Now, I don't know if you've been down there to see the, the building that's next door. So we've got a, a dedicated space for our pitchers because obviously pitching is important and they need to have their own space and their own time. Um, you know, it's one thing to be a position player and we got to figure out, all right, when do we want to do defense? When do we want to do offense base running all that kind of stuff. But, you know, pitching has got to be an ongoing thing that they're doing it every day. And, um, we do have a routine. We basically put them on a, a six day schedule and, and we try to get them right on that schedule from the first day of practice, basically with day one being your live day. And then day two through six is kind of that recovery lead up drills. What are you going to do to get to your next start? Um, obviously at this level with a, a bigger pitching staff, we've got guys who are strictly relievers as well. And so our relievers will be on a little bit different schedule, right? They'll be getting more to the point where their, their pitch count's not going to be as high as a, a starter, right? We're just going to keep their pitch count a little bit lower, but we're going to work on throwing back-to-back -back days um, and having outings, maybe a 15-pitch outing day one and a 20-25 pitch outing on day two and having a little less time to recover. Um, so they've got that as well. For me, you know, it, it helps. You always want to hit. You, you want to hit, hit, hit. I'm a hitting guy, right? And, and for me, I'd rather not have to ever deal with a pitcher ever in my life. We'll be all right. I'm, I'm a catcher. I like dealing with that standpoint. But when you got like 30 of them, I just hand them to our pitching coaches and say, you know, bring them back healthy and throwing strikes, hopefully. You know, it's another one of my favorite comments, just throw strikes. But for me, it's a hitting day, and I want to hit as much as possible. Um, you know, when we played at, at Old Frame Park, it really didn't matter if you could play defense or not. So we just worked on hitting. Um, cause, cause when the fences were 280 feet away and every hop in the infield was a crazy hop, there was no way to play defense. So we just had to outscore people. And, and sometimes that didn't work so well for us early on. So 
Um, but I'm always going to work on hitting every day. Um, the only time we won't do hitting in a team setting is if we've got that individual stuff. If they've had the opportunity to hit during the day, then we can do more of the team drill stuff. So, um, you know, defense, we, we've always got to try to balance arms. You know, for me, I, I'm a guy that gets, I would throw every day. Our guys got to tell me like, coach, we're sore. We got to stop. All right, let's, let's back off a little bit. Um, and then obviously the, the tough part to fit in is, is always the base running, you know, the, the little stuff, the small ball stuff is always seems to kind of get neglected a little bit. Um, I think that's one of the blessings that came out of COVID last year. And, and I tested positive right before our season started last year. So I spent basically the first 10 days of our season, not at practice. Um, but what we started to do is we started to do daily Zoom meetings. All right. And, and we would have a, a team Zoom meeting at four o'clock in the afternoon before our practice that would happen at nine o'clock at night. And what I found was having that extra hour of time really helped us from a team defensive standpoint. You know, we could talk a little bit about approaches. We could talk about base running. We could spend a little bit more time. Yes, you're not physically doing it, but we can cover all the stuff that you might want to cover in that hour of a Zoom meeting. And so that when we get to practice, now we can jump right into the drill. We can start to physically practice what we want to do without having to take that 10 or 15 minutes to actually explain what we want to do. Um, and that's going to carry over in this year. I'm going to continue to do that this year. Uh, hopefully I won't continue to have COVID this year, but we'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, but we're going to continue to have those meetings in the afternoons and, and we'll spend an hour or so going over some of those times so that we can be more efficient with our time that we actually have on the field um, at sticks. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to keep those guys there till one o'clock in the morning and we don't start till nine o'clock at night. So um, I think that's really been a, a big piece of it. When you talk about that, that economy of your practice time, having that, that zoom piece and being able to do a little bit of that online, having the individual stuff during the afternoon. Um, I think it really made a big difference for us last year. That's great. Um, appreciate that. The, the other piece I'm wondering about in your practices and like what types of training tools are you using? Um, like, you know, a lot of coaches, again, at the high school level, which is most of our audience here, whatever your budget is, you know, some obviously have more than others, but like, what are kind of the essential training tools that you would advise a coach to go out and buy? Um, and maybe just try to prioritize, like, what are the, what's the lowest hanging fruit that, that everybody's got to have? And for me, I like I said, I'm a hitting guy and some of the hitting tools out there are relatively inexpensive, um, even blast. So if you, you want to get into the technology piece, the, the blast where you put the sensor in the knob of your bat and it, it kind of gives you your numbers, that's relatively inexpensive. Um, and for me, all the kids who you're recruiting, right, they want to know. That's one of the questions when they come for a visit. What technology are you using? What are you using for this? So for me, there, there's incentive more than just the actual training. And I think a lot of it is definitely worth it, but it also comes down to the recruiting part. Guys want to know what you're doing from a technolo technological standpoint. So from a pitching standpoint, you know, we've got the Rapsodo machine. We keep it down at Sticks. Sticks use it as well. Um, that really helps from a pitching standpoint. We use the core velocity belts. Um, it's a Lance Wheeler thing. I, I think that's really helped our pitchers a lot and it's non-taxing on their arm. It gives us a lot of stuff that we can do with our pitchers that don't require them using any bullets out of the gun, right? They can, they can get some work in um, without having to actually throw a ball. We do use some plyo balls. We use weighted balls. Um, I don't have a full weighted ball throwing program. We use it a lot more for like prehab and, and recovery than we do anything. Um, hitting wise, we do, like I mentioned, we've got the blast uh, stuff. Um, I don't know if you've seen the Camwood bats. It was a Tony Gwen thing originally, right? They got the big thing right above the, the handle of the bat. We buy some of those. We've got a lot of the ax bats. Um, so ax bats with the, the ax handles, 
they make a weighted bat system, right? So you've got your, your end loaded, your hand loaded, and your underweight bat. Um, they make a big 37 inch bat. It's like a 37, 37. Our guys love to swing that because then they think they're real men after they swing that 37 inch bat for a while. But on the opposite end, they also make like a, a 27 inch bat, right? So that those guys that are they're flying off the ball and can't stay on the ball, you, you give them a little 27 inch bat and they, they kind of corrects that problem a little bit. We use a lot of their one hand bats as well. Um, I invested in a couple of hack attack machines. Now that we've got a couple of batting cages down at frame, uh, the three wheeled hack attack machines really help from a, a standpoint of we can crank up some velocity a little bit. I'm getting too old to throw BP 300 and some odd pitches every day. Um, I leave that to my younger assistant coaches to, to throw that kind of BP. So to have the, you know, everybody complains about machines, but man, machines really force you to be clean. You know, if you, you pump up some velocity on a, on a machine or get it from a closer distance, whatever flaws in your swing are going to get exaggerated a little bit. You've got to be able to be pretty efficient from your swing. So we've invested in some more machines. Um, obviously, defensive-wise, we, we try to get a lot of training gloves, you know, the old, old school paddles, uh, resistance bands, anything from agility standpoint. We use agility ladders with our guys. For me, I try to work that stuff into drills, right? Instead of having straight time where we're just doing ladder drills or we're doing change of direction drills or we're doing hurdle drills, we just kind of try to work it into our, our straight defensive drills. Like you might do a, a ladder drill and at the end of the ladder drill, you're doing some defensive drill or we're going to eat a, a fungo of some sort. So I like to incorporate as much agility type of stuff that we can do into our, into our individual stuff as well. Um, and then the last piece of technology that I've really started to the last couple of years to appreciate a little bit more and, and, and realize is kind of the, the prehab, the recovery piece of it, you know, not necessarily a, a hitting tool or a pitching tool, but, you know, stretch bands. I, I just bought two of the, the handheld massage guns, right? Um, stuff that's going to help our guys recover and help them feel better and stay healthier. Um, so I've invested in a lot of like bands, stretch bands, foam rollers, uh, body blades, anything that I can get their hands on to help them, you know, either prep for practice or recover from practice after we're done. That's kind of been the, the latest kick that I've been on is trying to get these guys in, and realizing that if you can't keep them healthy, it doesn't matter what kind of training tools you do. If they're on the sidelines, none of those are going to really matter. So um, from a, a standpoint of like high school guys, the, the core velocity belts kind of, they're, they're, they're reasonable. Um, the blast system's reasonable. Uh, like I said, anything from hitting tools, uh, the hitting, our, it keeps our guys occupied. I mean, I want our guys to swing and swing and swing. And if you just give them a bat and a tee and front toss, and they're just swinging with their own bat, it kind of gets mundane. It gets repetitive. I mean, I know my own kids can't pay attention to anything and their, their attention span is, is limited. So the more things that I can give them where they feel like they're doing something different, and, and then we're just kind of changing up what they do, um, I think keeps them engaged a little bit longer as well. Well, it sounds to me like, you know, your typical practice, you, you spend most of your time with the hitters. You know, again, you, I love your comment about the pitchers. Go off and do your thing. I, I love that. Um, so I picture you managing the cages, right? And whatever your setup is, if it's at frame or at sticks or whatever else you may be like, are there certain kind of hitting stations or hitting absolutes that you're looking for um, you know, in your guys, like if you, I'll go that, I'll go that route. What are the hitting absolutes of Carroll baseball? Well, from a, a drill standpoint, we've got what we call our prelims and I got it from whitewater, right? We've got our staple of drills. Like here are the first five drills that you're going to do before you even step in a cage and hit front toss or hit off a machine. Right. I'm a big T guy. Some guys don't believe in T's. I love T's. I've gotten a little bit more into the PVC. I'm sure you've seen some of the PVC drills, so we always start off with PVC stuff, some T drills, some one-handed stuff. 
Um, and that's always going to be the foundation before we start to hit, whether we're taking BP or whether we're getting into stations. Um, the absolutes for me, it's, it's about individualism, you know, um, different guys have different styles and I don't try to turn everybody into a cookie cutter. So they don't all look the same. Some guys are going to look a little bit different. Obviously there's, there's pillars where we want to get to a certain point within our swing. And there's certain things that you have to do within your swing in order to be successful. Um, but how you get to those points sometimes is a little bit different. And so we're always going to have those, those certain pillars of things that we want to see. You know, um, some guys are going to talk big launch angle guys, you know, obviously the blast is going to give you the numbers. Um, I've got one of our assistant coaches that is just our hitting guy. And, and I kind of let him, he's, he's been with us ever since he was a student um, and he loves the blast stuff. He's the technology, technological person, right? So for us, it's a good blend because I wasn't the technological guy, right? I'm, I'm just kind of old school. He was kind of the new school and we've, we've had a good way of blending that, that technology and getting the numbers from the blast. Um, but my, my biggest thing was, well, great, you've got the numbers. What does it mean? And how can we change them? How can we make them better? Um, and so it was coming up with a program that's all right. If this number is deficient, what are some drills that we're going to do to help that number? And that's where the individualism gets in. Once we get the blast numbers from our guys, we can see where they are deficient within their swings and what can make their swing more um, productive. And then we kind of design some of those drills to each guy. And so they know that, all right, I've got to do, when I get to the end of my prelims, my hitting routine, I'm going to do drill A, B, or A, B, and C. And those three drills are basically specifically catered to them and to help with some of those um, deficiencies that they might have in their swing. So it's not like we've got one program, we use it for everybody, where we kind of try to mix it up a little bit um, and help everybody out from an individual standpoint a little bit. Well, you've given us so much already about, you know, practice planning and training economy and fundraising and team building and, you know, like who, you know, what Carol baseball is, but I know a big part of your job is a recruiting trail. And you've talked about the locations, if it's Milwaukee area, Chicago area, but you've been on the recruiting trail for, for a while now. Okay. And, and a few different stops, like how can we, you know, most of the audience here is, is high school coaches like myself, like, what are you seeing at the high school level maybe it's not the you know the high school game you're watching but it's probably more of a, of, a, of a travel club game like what are you seeing in the high school athlete right now that you like and maybe there's some things that you don't like that you're seeing the recruiting trail right now you know i think i like the kids coming out are, are really prepared you know i think between club baseball travel teams right everybody's rolling from their high school season rolling right into summer and playing summer ball, playing fall ball, the, the amount of baseball being played and the amount of training that these kids are getting before they get to this level um, has increased exponentially over the last 10 years since I've been doing this. Um, but that can also be the double-edged sword of the whole thing, right? Um, I, I get more and more burnout, more, more and more kids that you recruit, they show up to campus and basically it's like, dad wanted me to play high school baseball or college baseball. I don't really want to play. I'm burned out. I've been playing for the last 14 years of my life. I'm just ready to be a student. Um, so like I said, that I think the, the training they're getting, they're, they're really prepared. They're really skilled. They've got a great skill set that they're coming in with now, um, higher than it's ever been. Um, but I think we also have to be careful about how much time these kids are putting in and how much, um, you know, how many months a year they're playing baseball and how many years they've been playing baseball, because I think the burnout piece is becoming a little bit more of an issue. And I think they've kind of lost that passion by the time they get to here. And if you don't have that passion, when you get to this level, it's really difficult because you look around and like I said earlier, all those kids who have all this free time on their hands and they're just here to be a student. 
and you've got to go to study tables and you've got to go to strength and conditioning and you've got individual practice, you've got Zoom meetings, you've got all this other time, all these other responsibilities that it requires that sacrifice. And if you really don't have that passion to compete and be here, it becomes a drain and, and, and baseball almost becomes more of a job than it is a game. Um, and I've got one sign that we keep in our dugout and our guys love it when I put it up is baseball is fun, damn it. And you're supposed to, you got to keep that in mind. This is a game and we've got to have fun doing it. And sometimes, sometimes the guys are coming in and they've lost that fun and they've lost that, that piece where it's still got to be fun. So as much as I appreciate the job that, that high schools and club teams and these travel teams are doing to prepare their guys from a baseball standpoint, sometimes there's a time where you got to step back to and, and let them be kids and let them enjoy some other sports. You know, obviously growing up in New Glarus, if you didn't play three sports, you didn't have enough guys to field a team. So, you know, you grew up playing football and basketball or wrestling and, and playing baseball in the spring. Um, and you played with the same group of guys. And yeah, we played summer baseball. But we probably played 15, 20 games in the summer. All right. But we were also, you know, playing other things in the summer. You know, they hadn't invented seven on seven football when I was in that age yet. That wasn't a thing, but uh, if it was, I would have been playing seven on seven football, you know, and if I was any good at basketball, I probably been playing summer basketball too. But when you're, you're five foot eight and you can't shoot and you can't dribble, there's not much of a place for you in, in basketball either. So, um, but that's, I mean, I, I think from that standpoint, my, my biggest advice for high school coaches is, is let them be kids at times, let them play other sports. You know, some of the best guys that I've had over the last 10 years have come in as three sport athletes. Um, and those guys will just absolutely take off because they've never just focused on baseball. Um, they've done other things. They're athletically prepared, but they just haven't been refined as a baseball player. And then once they get here and we just concentrate on baseball, they improve by leaps and bounds um, because they haven't had that opportunity to do it. So that's kind of the flip side of the coin, right? Um, you know, you can either come in super prepared, but you've been playing baseball for the last nine or 10 years of your life. And that's all you've known, or you can come in and, and maybe you're not as refined as those kids, but you still have the passion, you still have the love and that ceiling for you to grow is a little bit higher. So I don't know where the answer is. And I know that we can have the, the travel ball, high school ball debate, and we could do, do that for five, six hours. I mean, that's what we should go to Chicago for and, and spend an entire Friday night. We could debate about that, but um, we don't have that kind of time on here. Love that. Well, that's going to parlay me right into my favorite question. And I think I stole this from Jonathan Gellner on Head of the Curve podcast. But question is, what is something that you believe in as a coach, as a leader, that other coaches would disagree with you on? Like where you might be the minority in? <laughs> well, I'm just, I mean, we could probably talk about that forever as well. But, you know, I, I've, I've gone and I've changed my views. You know, I used to be a bunt guy right now. I, I won't hardly ever bunt with a runner at first and nobody out. I don't believe in giving away that out anymore. Um, I'll still bunt, but it's going to be somebody might hit a double and we're at the bottom of the order. I'm going to bunt him to third base. You know, for me, that's my philosophy. I want to get somebody to third base with, with one out, you know, and, and by bunting to get him to second base. Now I still got to figure out a way without giving up an out, how to get him to third base. So I've never been the, the bunt with a runner at first and nobody out. Um, I don't believe, uh, I think we mentioned this before, you know, my affinity for pitchers. I don't think they should ever pick up a bat. Um, I'm all about a DH. All right. I get a ton of guys that come in here thinking there's still two way guys. And it takes me a while to get them out of the fact that, you know, just, just go pitch. You're going to be better off as a pitcher or some of us the other way. You don't need to step in the bump. Let's, let's just rake a little bit. So I'm a, I'm a firm believer that pitchers don't ever need to pick up a baseball bat. They, they just stay on the bump and, and do their thing on the bump. Um, same, same thing. I think I mentioned this before. My biggest pet peeve is guys who yell, just throw strikes. All right. I'm, I'm not a just throw strikes guy. 
I don't think I've ever met a pitcher who's out there not trying to throw strikes. Um, I think all of them are trying to do just that for the majority of the time. Um, what else? Defensive shifts. You know, I'm not, I'm, if you don't like the defensive shift, then, then teach your hitters how to, how to beat them. We shouldn't have to change the rules of baseball and say that you can't shift because you can't figure out how to teach your kids how to beat a shift, right? Um, I get it with launch angle and everything else. We hit the ball in the air. There's no double plays if you hit the ball in the air. I get it, but we, we shouldn't have to we shouldn't have to outlaw a shift from that standpoint. But I mean, other than that, then we, we get into political stuff. I can start quoting Bull Durham and all that kind of stuff, but nobody wants to hear me talk about the novels of Susan Sontag and how they're overrated, self-indulgent crap and all that. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, hey, last question for you. Um, like, what else you got? Give us some advice for coaches, some lessons learned along the way. Um, how about this? If you could give your younger self some advice, Give your younger self some advice. Like, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started coaching? A, I should have found a GA position coming out of school so I wouldn't be paying back these student loans that I had to pay for my uh, master's degree. Should have been a GA right away. Didn't know that those existed back in the day. Maybe they didn't. Um, so that would be number one. Uh, number two would be if, if you want to do something, do it. You know, find a way. And, and luckily... I had a supporting cast that I was able to make those sacrifices. Um, like I said, I, I came out of college. I started teaching elementary phi ed, um, put in, you know, one year at Lake Mills, five years at New Glarus. Uh, luckily, I, I got married. So my wife had an uh, insurance plan so I could have insurance and quit my job. And I basically walked away from a teaching job in the middle of the year, uh, quit at semester, went back to Whitewater as a volunteer and then just worked when I could as a substitute teacher, just to earn a little bit of money, um, but really relied on my wife. And, and luckily I, I had somebody that was willing to support me and my dream. And for those first, I think three years at Whitewater, I didn't make a penny. I was strictly a volunteer coach. You know, eventually by the time I had been there, um, Coach Lich found some money through like the maintenance department. So I worked some maintenance stuff and, and made I don't know if I made $15,000, something like that. I felt really rich after spending three years making nothing. But my advice would be that you're going to have to make some sacrifices. Nobody gets into the coaching industry to become a millionaire, especially in the baseball industry. You know, maybe if you're football, they'll give you million dollar buyouts and boosters will they'll give you millions, but they, that ain't happening at this level. But do what you can, you know, and there's going to be some sacrifices and you're going to have to move. If you're willing to go places, there's opportunities out there. Um, they're not always going to be in your backyard, though. You, you got to be willing to, to pick up and move. I was lucky that I could get in at Whitewater and, and really didn't have to, to pick up and move there. Um, and when I started applying for jobs, I applied everywhere for that first head coaching job. And, and I got some interviews. I got an interview in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I had no business getting that interview. I was like one year as assistant coach at Kelvin College. Ended up being the runner up for that position. And, and luckily, it worked out for me. Um, but then when the job at Northland came up, you know, I looked at it and at first I was, I wasn't sure, you know, do you really want to go that far North in, in that climate in that small of a school with, with the facilities, what they were like, part of me was like, can you even go up there and have some success? But I just had to take the leap of faith and, and, and bite the bullet for three years. And, and I ended up having a great experience up there and really enjoyed my time up there. And that was the job that led to this one. And, and this one now I, I feel like it, it's a long-term job where I can, I can see myself here for another 10 to 15 years, maybe. Um, we'll see how things work out. You know, if they let me stay, I don't know if they'll let me stay even by that time. I don't know. But that would be my advice is, is be open to moving. 
um, be willing to make that that leap of faith because it's not always going to be about money. There's going to be some times where you're going to have to scrape by and, and make make things meet and make those ends meet. And hopefully you've got enough of a support cast around you like like I did and you can make it work. And um, it's a really satisfying career. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade this in for anything. Um, if I had to go back to teaching elementary phi ed, I, I don't know what I would do if I had to go backwards. So I have an utmost respect for all of you that are out there teaching and teaching in the high school or the elementary school level. I could not do it. Um, you guys are, are saints. You guys have the more patience than I will ever have in my whole entire life. Um, I deal with my own three kids and that's enough. Um, and that they're 18 to 22 year olds that I have to deal with now. I can threaten them. They take threats much more. Um, I think I hold a, a carrot in front of them that I can control them a little bit more than I could a kindergartner. So, and there it is. Huge thank yous out to Coach Rear for taking time out of his schedule to sit down with us today. Um, you know, I was able to catch him before the the chaos of the spring semester begins on campus um, when guys start to report back to campus practices, dealing with the weather, and getting ready for those first games. Uh, you know, trips south and everything else that's happening. So. Uh, love the insight into into his program and into his background. You know, and just as we start to highlight college baseball in this state, you know, us as high school coaches got another month or so until we get started with practices. Uh, but until then, college baseball is off and running, like I mentioned. At some divisions, um, or locally, we'll see the next couple weekends here. Uh, Division One baseball starts up on Friday. Um, and, you know, Division Two, Three, junior college, NAI schools, as we see more and more Wisconsin kids playing across the state of Wisconsin, but also across the country. You know, and there's a, this is a great time to be a college baseball fan. There's accessibility, um, you know, ESPN Plus or, you know, whatever else it may be, just to have access to follow some of these, some of these teams, some of these old players. So, um, gotta love Coach Rear, just the sense of humor is there, uh, the, the, the humility as a player and as a coach, just the self-deprecation, you gotta love. Um, and he crushed it on the main stage at the WBCA. So until next episode, just remember to subscribe and share and please pass these along as we get geared up for our season here. It was great to see a lot of you this past weekend, and I appreciate the, the, the kind words and the sentiments. So until next episode, have a great rest of your day.